Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Aaron Lansky, and today I'm here with Josh Lambert, the Yiddish Book Center's academic director, a scholar and critic of modern Jewish literature, and the director of Great Jewish Books, our brand new week-long summer program for high school students scheduled for July 29th through August 5th this coming summer. Welcome, Josh. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So uh, what, what are Great Jewish Books and what makes them so great? And, and that, what that really means is why would a high school student want to spend seven beautiful, warm, sunny days, uh, you know, this summer uh, reading and discussing these books? Okay, so I think the first thing we have to clarify is that when we have seven days with high school students, we're not going to be reading that many whole books. I think the nature of the time uh, that we have will be that Henry Roth call it sleep, 450 pages of dense modernist prose, as much as I love it, will not be on the table. But uh, I think the idea of great Jewish books is thinking about modern Jewish literature as a single, continuous, exciting, um, aesthetically and formally sophisticated literary uh, achievement, set of achievements. Um, and the kind of things we'll be reading will be particularly texts that are sometimes not taught um, to Jewish students of this age because they raise uh, difficult questions. But I think the kinds of questions that we can raise with text are exactly the, kind of the kinds of questions that Jewish educators want their students to be asking. All right. So, so how about some examples? So that's what it comes down take to. A, take an example. One of my favorite short stories to teach um, and one of the ones that I think uh, works really extraordinarily well is a story by Philip Roth called Defender of the Faith, which was one of the first stories uh, he published. It appeared in his book, Goodbye Columbus, um, and, it, and he published it in The New Yorker in March of 1959. It's a story about, uh, narrated from the perspective of a sergeant in the U.S. Army uh, during at the towards the end of World War II who saw combat in Europe and is now rotated back to the U.S. where he's um, in charge of some uh, new recruits in a, in a camp. Um, and what's fascinating about this story is that the narrator um, is very conscious of himself as a Jew and about how he appears as a Jew to other soldiers. So the plot of the story is it focuses on uh, a group of soldiers, but particularly one, who want to, who realize that the sergeant, their sergeant is Jewish and want to get out of things through this. They want to get out of, you know, cleaning the bathrooms. They want to get special time off. They want to get weekend passes. And they want to use the fact of his Jewishness as a, as a, as a way of getting special favors. And what this story cuts to the heart of in, a, in an incredibly intense way is how connected should American Jews be to each other? How loyal should we be to other Jews versus our loyalties to other Americans of all kinds and to the larger community? Mm. And those are, those are the kind of questions that every college student, every student who goes off to college um, and m most uh, teenagers themselves are already asking themselves. They're asking themselves, how often do I want to identify myself as Jewish and how do I want to do that? Hmm. How, do, how do I want to align my thinking of myself as Jewish with the way that other people see themselves with other Jews, with other non-Jews? So there's a moment in the story that I love, um, which is sort of a key moment, where the first thing that this group of soldiers asks the sergeant for is they want um, permission. They, they're asking a question about their Friday night services and, and about you know the pro a problem they're having with it. 
And through the most of the conversation, the sergeant says, you know, you can attend your services whenever you like. You can go to your church services. But then he slips up at one point and says, it's fine. You can go to shul if you want to. <laughs> so he uses the word shul, and immediately he's outed. And this is something that, that most Huh. Even even young people in the Jewish community know that the words we use identify us in powerful ways. If you know someone who says synagogue or shul or temple, you know a little bit about who they are Jewishly right. and how they connect. And all those choices we make about the words that we say have consequences for how we're seen and how we present ourselves. And I think the hmm. story is amazing on that level. But the reason I really love to teach it more than that is that uh, I've had, through my academic work, the opportunity to go down to Philip Roth's papers at the Library of Congress, and what I found there was all the mail that the New Yorker received after this story came out. So what year was it? In so it, it, the story was printed in New Yorker in 1959, in March of 1959. Right. And the responses were incredibly intense and fascinating. You had... You had, uh, you know, I'll, I can, I, I have a, I have a couple of the, the choice morsels in front of me. So, and these are just regular people writing into a magazine, responding to a short story, a fictional short story, a piece of, a piece of writing. Hmm. Um, so one person writes in and says, it, this story will do irreparable damage to the Jewish people. Someone writes in and says, with your one story, you have done as much harm as all the organized anti-Semitic organizations. At the same time, someone else writes in and says, uh, Nathan Marks, who's the main character of the, of the story, the sergeant, is a sincerely human Jewish American, and he, he is a hero in many ways. You've written that here is good and bad in the Jews, just as in every other religious mm -hmm. and racial group, and as a result, it becomes easier to relax with everyone. This And, you know, there were also letters from people who had been in the Air Force and in the military in World War II um, who felt that the story had represented perfectly some of their experiences, their struggles in the military. Um, and uh, I'll say just as an aside, what I, what another thing I love from his mail is that someone wrote in to say, uh, Roth doesn't know what he's talking about. He gets a detail wrong in his description of the military. Now, of course, Philip Roth was 11 years old right, in, during World War II. So, of course, he was not in the World War II military. Right. This is a fiction that he constructed to think through precisely those questions of how people's Jewish identities and American identities contest each other and connect with each other. So... so what do you think's changed since 1959? Will young people have the same outraged response to this, or will it have a resonance for them that in some ways is, is much deeper than what Jews might have allowed themselves back in you know, 50, 60 years ago? You know, what's been interesting to me when I've taught this story before is that the reactions really do range. Um, the the main antagonist of the story, whose name is Grossbart, and you even in his name you get a sense of he's meant to be uh, uh, a somewhat repulsive figure, is drawn in a way that's that's so unappealing that students do sometimes feel like this feels anti-Semitic. It feels unpleasant. It feels mm. like why would you publish something like this? At the same time, as I think, because most of the students I encounter have not experienced um, intense anti-Semitism in their own lives and feel right. comfortable and safe. There's less of a sense that uh, by revealing yourself as a Jew, you open yourself up to criticism or by saying something negative about the Jews that you're allowing uh, anti-Semites to uh, in indulge themselves or exploit your, your words. So I think there's a way in which this feels safer now than it did then. But at the same time, I don't think the crux of the story for me is really about the question of anti-Semitism. The crux is this question of how do different uh, Jewish people 
joined together through this American institution, the army, relate to each other? How do they decide what their Jewishness means as a way of connecting or not connecting? Right. And I think that's that's something that you know that young people experience at their schools, at their camps, at their on their college campuses. And I and I can guarantee you that in your first week, any Jewish students in, in their first week of college is going to be making decisions about how Jewish they want to seem or how they want to identify themselves. Wow. Well, if we got all that out of one story, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be some seven days, Josh. So I am uh, thoroughly looking forward to this. I'll just um, uh, give the highlights here. The conference is Great Jewish Books. The dates are July 29th through August 5th. The cost is completely free, thanks to our good friend Michael Steinhardt. And the registration deadline, the deadline for applications is March 15th, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a hard and fast deadline. So please get those in by March 15th. And the way to do that is to go onto our website at www.yiddishbookcenter.org. March 15th, please be sure to sign up before then. And we are really looking forward. And Josh, I thank you very much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great. I'm Aaron Lansky. Our original theme music is written and performed by Hank Isnetsky. This has been a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.